Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. Most of the podcasts you'll find here are recorded in our Sunday services, hence the not-always-perfect audio quality and background noises, but occasionally someone or something else will be featured. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not going to thump you with it. We believe in the world-changing power of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. We're also always trying to integrate all this cultural applicable truth in real ways that reach our emotions and intellects as well as our spirits. This Sunday we were visited by our good friend Robin who has quite the gift of hearing from God and at the end of his talk he picked out people from around the room telling them what he thought God was saying specifically to them which I know was pretty incredible for a lot of people. We've cut this bit off the recording but do get in touch with me at hannah at bread.church if one of those was for you and you'd like to hear it again. I'm half Irish, half Italian and Jewish but we'll leave it at that. That was recently discovered. Um, so this is how you make me mute because I can't move my hands. So if the microphone goes flying, please just grab it. All right, um, here we are. Again, I can't believe you brought me back. Every time I think, okay, I said something somebody's not going to be happy with. But we have a really good topic this morning. And hopefully um, the Lord will speak to your hearts. And um, why don't we, speaking of technical things, does any of my friends have my little photos to put up just to prep the, the scenario? I think we're going to stay on you are good. Okay. <laughs> the joys of technology. I'm so impressed at all your bravery. You've managed to bypass virus fears, the marathon, and time clocks. Okay, so um, here's the first one. Friendship is so weird. You just pick a human you met and you're like, yep, I like this one. And then you just do stuff with them. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Go on to the next one. Best friends know how stupid you are and still choose to be seen with you in public. You all know that's true. All right, one, go ahead. I think there's two more. This one's a little scandalous, but I think you all can handle it. A good friend calls you in jail. A great friend bails you out of jail. Your best friend sits there next to you saying, what a night that was. <laughs> and lastly, here's my favorite one. Friends are God's way of apologizing for your family. <laughs> okay, we're going to be talking about are you a friend of God this morning? Okay. So, Lord, would you come and uh, woo our hearts and reveal more of your goodness to us and give us ears to hear and hearts that respond. Guide my words, and, um, Lord, we're here to meet with you. Thank you. So, the question is not whether God is your friend, but whether you're God's friend. So you're going to have to process the word order just a little, okay? Um, the Bible makes pretty clear God pretty much is your friend, right? But friendship's not just one way, correct? Can I just say in a moment, and by the way, we'll have little rabbit trails. I was thinking about this morning, if we had people with English accents like announce disasters and apocalypses, we'd all be much more calm in this country, wouldn't we? By the way, there's an outbreak of a virus. Stay calm. It would just be lovely, and we'd all be fine. So anyway, um, I imagine the angel in heaven's going to be like, welcome, welcome, thank you. Um, 
Thank you for coming. We have a lovely tea party. I just love you guys. So, John 15, 12. This is our landing point. Do we have a verse? There it is. This is my commandment, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. No one has greater love nor stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends because I have revealed to you everything that I have heard from my father. Now, we read that verse and it brings us great comfort. But if you were the hearers of this verse at the time Jesus spoke it, you would be greatly confused. Because the whole system of spirituality and understanding of God at this point is a king and ruler who's distant. And he does whatever he's going to do. And we're at the mercy of that, hopefully, or pray for mercy from that. And um, it just happens with no announcement. You know, there's disasters, there's disease, there's destruction, and God's still on the throne, but you just don't get to have any awareness of what his role is in that. And here Jesus, in a very scandalous moment, with his followers, by the way, is now saying there is a change of the contract. You're no longer just blind or obedient servants. I call you my friends. Okay, this would be like, the best I can give you is the Queen of England just shows up at your house and goes, oh, let's, let's have a party. I think you're my friend. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that. I think it'd be hilarious to watch her do the Congo, but I would not know what to do with that because there are protocols in place. You know that big word that our culture doesn't like, protocols? Everyone just thinks it's all good and we'll do whatever we want, however we want, right? But there are protocols. And so there was a spiritual protocol, and Jesus is saying, by the way, um, that protocol is now changing. I call you friends. So Jesus is already announcing his friendship toward us. But what I want us to think through is the lens of what does it mean to be a friend of God? Right? I didn't say, does God really like you? I didn't say, would God consider you his friend? But here's something to think about. Not on the merit or the work of Jesus and the cross. Let's just look at relational dynamics, right? Would God call you his friend? Right? That's a very different access to him so how, how do you evaluate that? Like, is there any, even any mechanism to even think about that, either biblically or spiritually? Now, I want you to know this is not going to be a guilt trip. It's not going to be a checklist of here you do these things and don't do those things. Those never work anyway. I always tell people the worst part of Christianity is self-management and sin management, right? That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for an abundant life. I signed up for a spiritual path. I signed up for a pilgrimage, and I signed up for, for a God who sought after me. And so I give him everything. So in the friendship of God, what does it take or even mean to be a friend? So we're going to look at just a few things. And how do we grow beyond just kind of the servant and the child who either obeys grudgingly a set of rules or is the overperformer to get all the rewards? Do you know people like that? You're usually the eldest child right? You all know it. Like, I love oldest children. I, my, I've been praying for God to deliver me from being the oldest child. And so a lot of friends go, oh, you're the youngest. I go, thank you. Thank you. I have learned how to not take everything so seriously, right? I'm a full fan of birth order. So how do we move beyond just the punishment and the rewards, right? 
how do we look at the dynamic of our relationship? Well, let's start with what a friend is. A, a friend is, I think I have it up here. Oh, there's a slide somewhere. There we go. A person for whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection. Typically exclusive of sexual or family relations, a distinctive personal relationship that is grounded in a concern on the part of each friend for the welfare of the other, for the other's sakes, and that involves some degree of intimacy, mutuality, and equality. Well, that's a big mouthful. How many of you have friends? How many of you like your friends? How many of you wish you had new friends? No, okay, don't put your hands up. Okay. The difficulty in understanding our friendship with God is that our, our immaturity, our issues, our, our brokenness, our, our uh, family of origin issues, whatever you want to call it, tends to create a dynamic where we either see God as the giving or the scolding parent, right? I'm always doing something wrong, or I'm always trying to get his approval, or he's the absent landlord, like, you know, he built things and then he just kind of walked away. You know, and then there is the other aspect of it where we feel like at times maybe it's that um, God's kind of indifferent or he's more like a fickle or a capricious lover, you know, just moody today, didn't take enough Prozac this morning, okay? I don't know about you, when I read the Old Testament, I think, God, you need some serious therapy. Like, you know, I don't know how to frame some of that. And yet my Bible says he's the same always and constant. Do you realize the national hymn of Israel in every disaster, in every judgment, in every difficulty was, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. I don't know how you say that, but they could say it all the time. And the thing that gives me hope, even when I'm going through difficult times, is that 2,000 years of followers of Christ in their most horrific scenarios could bow down and still declare the goodness of God because it's not contingent upon how I feel or my circumstances, right? The thing that we will battle most for in this season is to have hope and to have peace. And the people of God should be a people that carry his presence of having that hope and peace. You know how you can have a bad day and you call your friend up or you hang out with your friend and all of a sudden your bad day is better, right? Think about that with God. So, I would always say, what's interesting, what we fight against is an overused term in our culture, the BFF phrase, best friends forever. So I have friends telling me they're, they're hairstylist or their barber or their dog, you know, or they're marrying their BFF who they've known all of six months. I always find that one funny. That's my BFF. Okay, you've only been together for six months and you haven't had a big row yet. When you have several big rows and you still like each other, then tell me you're to your BFF, okay? And, and then we're in a culture that because of our technology, there is an artificial construct of connection and relationship, isn't there? Every social platform, you know, I always laugh like, who decided FB should have likes? You know, Facebook with likes. You know, I want other categories besides the one I'm being offered. Do you ever notice that? Like, I want the meh category. I want the mm, no. And um, please remove yourself from the gene pool category. But nobody, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus forgive me for that. Um, so, you know, I have friends who, I know people who literally live for these things, right? The number of likes, the number of followers, the number of Twitter, you know, responses, all of these things, isn't it interesting that what we are terrified of behind all this 
is a disconnection and an invisibility. I need to be seen, right? And yet the very technology that's supposed to create that is the very thing that separates us. Because you can't get away from being in the same space, meeting face to face, and sharing life activities, and think you have an authentic relationship, right? Do you know that? If all you ever did was call your friend up once a year and go, how's it going? You're doing fine, cool. Everything great, goodbye, okay. Would that be a friendship, right? Whenever you think of the term friend, there is a whole host of memories and emotions that come up, isn't there? So think about that when, when just in the undercurrent of as we're talking about God. What memories and experiences and emotions? Because our relationship with him is not just cerebral, and it's not just theological, and it's not just rules and lists, right? There's a dynamic there that is about a person and not just about principles, right? So here we are in this space, and what and I think even in LA, this whole region, you gotta remember, California was founded on people leaving friends and family to find fame and fortune. So relationships tend to be very utilitarian or very short term because you're either a doorway or in the worst case scenario, you're a doormat, right? I'm stepping on you or through you to get to something or someone else. You all know this, right? How many of you have had fair weather friends in your life? Do you know what that term means? Like, hi, they're here and then they're gone. All right, but none of you, of course, because you're so amazing. Everyone's your best friend forever, <laughs> right? So the Bible itself uses the term friend between 170 and 219 times. And that term has both good and negative connotations, right? But it has to do with degrees of connectedness and closeness, right? Because it's, it's about spending time and activity and location together. It's not just about common interests. So there are layers and levels of connectedness. So we have neighbors and coworkers and classmates and maybe a carpool buddy or a roommate or a housemate. You know, maybe it's your barista, your bartender, your barber, your waiter, different people you know in the community. But they're all all degrees of connectedness and relatedness, right? The interesting thing is that God, through all of the Bible, including the Old Testament, into the New Testament, is always seeking out those who are furthest out from the center of community. Those who are furthest away from connectedness. Which is why over and over again, there is always this invitation and exhortation, which is just a strong way of saying, pay attention. It's like God taking a yellow highlighter, remember those from years ago, and making an exclamation point. Pay attention to the stranger and the widow and the orphan and the alien, because those are people who lack the community, the connectedness, and the resources, and he wants to make them part of the friendships and the family. Always. It's one of the hallmarks of the early church that we don't even historically get. Part of the offense to the Romans at the time Christianity was being um, born was that Christians made friends with everybody. And they took the poor. And they even took orphans because at that time people would take babies and leave them abandoned in the woods if there was a defect or the local priest or prophetess said, nope, this child is going to be this. They had no conscience about it. And Christians would go and rescue them. So it's this whole posture in our faith and in our walk 
that allows us to go beyond just what is most familiar to us, to make people friends. The whole invitation of God is, come be a friend with me, right? It's not just being, let me be your Lord, let me be your Savior. It's like, come and have connection and communication with me. When we present it that way, it becomes a little bit easier to access, doesn't it? And so, what, what, what are qualities of good friends? You all know this. When you think about friends, everybody has, like, it's very interesting. Universally, we all are looking for similar things in friends, aren't we? Do you ever think about how, why is friendship so important? Really? Why, why is friendship so important? As we move into adulthood, most of us will spend more time with our friends than we do with our own family. We'll go through those seasons. And if you have a crazy family, they tend to in, in, invite and enfold lots of other people into that whole swirl, don't they? You know? I'd come home, and I have, I have adult children now, but um, I'd come home and there'd be people on my porch and in my kitchen eating my food because my kids would bring people home. I'm like, do they not have their own house? Like, are they underfed? Is there something wrong with these children? And we're talking about 25-year-olds here, okay? So we're not talking about 10-year-olds. They're like, no, but they wanted to hang out because my place was known as the hangout place, you know? But there was always this invitation. People come because they feel invited. Do you ever go someplace where you, you're like, I just don't really feel comfortable here. I don't feel invited, right? Because what you're feeling is you have an invitation, but you don't feel embraced. That's why. Friendship allows us, there are several characteristics in friendship when we think about this. First one is someone who listens, right? Someone who's loyal. Someone we can trust, someone who's reliable, someone who's honest, compassionate, tends to have a good sense of humor, a bit understanding of my foibles and what freaks me out, right? Good friends just roll their eyes or they're up in your face in space telling you to chill out. Now, somebody else could tell you that and it would, you'd get a different reaction. But because it's your friend, you can hear it. See, some of the hard things that we read in the Bible and we see, if we would put it through the lens of a friend speaking to us, it'd make it a lot easier to swallow. Does that, does that make sense? It's not an angry God going, this. It's a friend going, you, you know, you probably should pay attention. This could have some negative consequences for you. Right? This is probably a better way. Right? That's that term repentance, is a friend saying to us, you might want to rethink your whole thought process and your whole behavior, because it's just not doing you good. Right? What I laugh at is there are times with my kids, I will say something to them, and I, I try not to be in, in controlling or in, you know, invasive or the whole thing, and they'll go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then one of their friends or somebody else will say the exact same thing, and they'll go, oh my gosh, look, that's really amazing what they just said. And I'm like, are you on drugs? Please tell me you are. <laughs> I just said the same thing. Yeah, but your dad. I go, it's because our friends, and I'm like, oh my God, okay, friends, talk more wisdom, thank you. Right? We know this. They're encouraging, they're available, they're helpful, there's a mutualness, there's initiation, right? It's not one-sided. There's fun. You don't need a purpose or a plan to hang out with your friends, do you? That's the sign of a good friend, by the way. We call it hanging. We eat and experience life together. Do you realize the circle of apostles 
And the followers of Christ in the early part of the church, this is what this describes, what they did. They just did life together. They hung out. While Jesus was making followers, he was also, unbeknownst to them, making him their friend. There are people in the Bible that have a title of friendship that are, it's very exalted. Like Moses in Exodus, it says, the, the Lord used to speak Moses, to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. I have no idea what that means. And Abraham, because he believed God, is called a friend of God. Right? Like there's these kind of people throughout the Bible that get highlights. The word friend in the Bible is used with much affection and about authentic relationship. In Proverbs 17, 17, which I think we have a verse for it, there it is. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity or for adversity. If any of you come from, or a sister, by the way, if any of you come from a same-sex family, we're all the siblings, you understand the pain and the power of this verse. You bonk on each other all the time, there's conflict, but then you have friendship too, right? Part of the joy of adulthood, if we do our growth correctly, our siblings become our friends somewhere along the line. They really do. What I laugh at is, have you, if you want to see what family of origin are like, just go to weddings, funerals, baptisms, and everyone turns back into the 10, 12, and 8-year-old they were before. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh my god, you're 45. You're still fighting about that toy that they, you never got, but they got? Oh my god. And you know it's true. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother who is far away. All of Proverbs has these references to friendship. Now the Bible also warns us about the type of friends that you need to be careful of, right? We call them fair weather or false friends. Proverbs 17.9, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. It's an invitation to be careful about your words. It's just pragmatic stuff. And in Psalm 15.1, it's talking about who could be in God's presence or his tent or his dwelling place. And it clearly relates to our speech and our honesty. And I love this. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts, who does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. So here are all these verses addressing relationship and friendship. There's also all these verses that warn us about the type of friends that we keep because they will influence our character, influence our choices, and influence our destiny ultimately, right? So you have Proverbs 18.24. I always tell my, my, my kids this. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I've had to tell one of my son who has 2,350 followers on Facebook, probably, mm, no. They're not your friends. Right? A man of too many friends comes to ruin. Plus, we're not wired to have that many friends, really. The truth is, if any of you know as you get older, you can count usually on one hand your closest friends. Really. And there are friendships that go through seasons, but all of you have friends who in one season they moved away or things changed and you can pick right up where you left off when you get back together, right? That's the sign of the durability of the relationship. By the way, think about that with God. Even where you left off or left him, you can pick up where it was. 
and come near him. There's the warning in James 4.4, 4, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's a warning from God. It's not about trying to avoid the world as a place to live. It's saying don't operate in the same manner. Don't conduct yourselves in the same way. Don't go after the same things. It's pretty simple, right? Doesn't your friend want the best for you, right? A good friend will know when to be silent and when to speak up. Authentic relationship risks rage and rejection to speak a truth that will help you. Does that make sense? We've gotten to a place where, where the paradox of raging about things has also created the silence where we stand by quietly when we should speak up, right? The best friends are the ones that have wounded me the greatest, by the way, because they tell me things that nobody else would tell me, right? That's the risk of friendship, that a good friend will tell you something that may not be easy to hear, but in a way that you can hear it. God does the same with us. So now we come to Jesus modeling the friendship thing, right? He talks about one of the titles in Matthew eleven eighteen that John the Baptist, who was his forerunner prophet, they said, um, he has a demon, but the son of man came eating and drinking. Here's a glutton drunkard, and I love this phrase because it's meant to mock him, but Jesus wears it boldly. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you ever notice when you read through the New Testament, Jesus is showing up at all the hot spots and sin holes, as I say. He's at all the parties that none of the righteous people want to go to. And yet he does not have to partake of the sin of those places and still is able to hold himself in high regard, right? He isn't scolding people, he isn't condemning people, but he's trying to be their friend where they're at. He goes and meets them where they're at. Jesus models a friendship that is invitational and even durable because at the end, when Judas comes to kiss Jesus on his cheek as a sign of betrayal, Jesus' response to him is, friend, do what you've come to do. And he doesn't say it in any mocking. There is a verb, there's a, an adjective that could be used to, to indicate whether he's saying it tongue-in-cheek. He's actually authentically saying it. He's given Judas the chance, even at the end, to acknowledge, I still want to be in connection and relationship with you. That's an amazing amount of loyalty. Could you imagine knowing from the beginning that someone's going to betray you and still you sit with them and call them your friend, right? How many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend? Just come on. If you haven't, then you've been hiding under a rock. It's probably one of the most painful things that could ever happen. Right? You can deal with it from your siblings or family because we're all about elbowing each other sometimes, right? And we can get over that. But friendship, that wound is so deep. David had to deal with it in the Old Testament too. There are places in Psalm he refers to the betrayal. So here's some things to think about. I'm just going to give you some phrases and we're going to land at a point here. A friend is one who walks in when others walk out. Right? I'm just going to give you some thoughts. A friend is one who believes in you when you have ceased to believe in yourself. Love is blind, but friendship chooses to close its eyes. That's a really good one, by the way. You know it's true, because if you have a spouse or someone you've fallen in love with, they were perfect until you started really getting to know them. 
you're perfect, now please change. Um, mm-hmm, all right, no one's saying amen. Uh, <laughs> Truth and tears clear the way to deep and lasting friendship. A simple friend thinks that friendship over when you have an argument. A real friend knows that it's not a friendship until you've had a good fight. You have to think through this. Because it tests the bonds of loyalty, doesn't it? Conflict tests the bonds of loyalty. The difficulty in our social arrangement of we are accepting of everyone and everything is actually not accepting. I'm trying to manage your ability to reject me. I don't want to risk being labeled. Does that make sense? I'm not saying we should be rejecting people, but there's been such a shift in it. it I just accept everybody. Every time I hear that, I go, oh, please stop. There's somebody pressing your button. There's somebody who drives you insane. You just can't say it because you know you'll get labeled. And I'm not saying we should espouse this, but do you understand the difference between just accepting and embracing, right? It is one of the blessings of old friends that you can afford to be stupid with them. I'm giving you quotes from famous people, by the way. Money might make you wealthy, but friends make you rich. One loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. That was a Euripides, who was a Greek playwright. They had that already figured out. Misfortune shows those who are not really our friends. A true friend stabs you in the front. Yeah, now, oh, you all got attention on that one. Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. That was Helen Keller. Isn't that interesting? Okay. The best way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. And this one I love. Mahatma Gandhi said this after studying Jesus in the New Testament. And I thought, this is very interesting. It is easy enough to be friendly to one's friends, but to befriend the one who regards himself at you as your enemy is the quintessence of true religion. Everything else is just mere business. Now, I want to reference back to John. Jesus said, no greater love has a man than he lay down his life for what? His friends. We hear enemies. We've like twisted the context to that. Because what God is saying, there is a cost to relationship. There are times I have to not just compromise, but willing to let go of things. Right? Willing to give without expecting to return. So, here's a thought. Perhaps the most authentic indication of who your friend is not who's at your wedding or commitment ceremony, but who would be in the room with you when you are dying? Who would carry your coffin or your ashes? Who do you trust enough that knows you well enough to say your eulogy? Right? To speak about the things of your heart. So what would God say about you? We describe and evaluate relationships all the time, whether we know it. We're looking at connection and the level of commitment and communication and how much mutual caring there is. That's the, those are the hallmark pillars of friendship and relationship. So some of you who have difficulty issuing, uh, like relating or accessing God as Savior or Lord, as King, as Father or Mother, Perhaps the best way to start with him is to think of him, why not, as a friend. One whose mutual affection abound, who, whose loyalty is unswerving, and commitment marks the seasons and bonds of your life. Someone who's going to know your dreams and your fears 
and your passions, right? So when you start thinking about everything I just described about friendship, flip to the other side of the table and look at yourself and go, how am I being a friend of God? When Jesus in the early part says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. If you do what I command you, he's not lording it over us. He's saying, will you walk in agreement with me? Will you receive my truth, my freedom, my understanding, my resources? And out of that place of gratefulness, we respond. We reciprocate. There really is a reciprocity to this. God is not as distant as you think. Revelation 3.20, which is a very strange book because in the Western world we've hijacked it to signs and symbols and, you know, every, everything's hideous and horrible and, you know, when's this going to happen? When's Jesus going to return? If I see another person talk about the day Christ is going to return, I'm just going to, like, pull what left of my hair I have out. That's not what this is about. The whole book of Revelation is God going, look, there's going to be disasters and wars and earthquake and pestilence and problems and things may not go the way you expect, but if you hang on to me, you'll get through it and it'll be fine in the end. So I love this part in the middle of all this, Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. There's God saying, give me a chance. Let's sit down together and engage. Let's have conversation. That's the invitation of the Lord every day to us. Will you connect with me? Will you converse with me? God's friendship always stands, but he risks with us the ability that is only one-sided. Does that make sense? He's always constantly your friend, but he's willing to risk that we may not always be his friend. I'd say that's a pretty risky scenario. I don't know about you in the natural. I wouldn't be doing that. If you had a flaky friend, wouldn't you just be like, okay, we're done after a certain point? Keep making appointments. They don't show up. You have meals. They don't show up. You make plans. They cancel them, right? And yet God's willing for us to do that with him. So the invitation this morning to, to some of you who may be far away and not have thought about God, come and explore the friendship with the Lord. And those of you who are already followers of God, come and grow that friendship with God. Let him be your friend today. The thing I love about God in all the Bibles is that he gives us multiple ways to access him as Lord, as Savior, as King, as friend. Right? There are multiple ways to relate to God in that context. And we can do it through Jesus. So I'm going to do something very quick here, and then we'll land. Um, and you all know, how many were here the last time I was here? Oh, good, I have some fresh faces. I scared everybody off, apparently. Um, so one of the things God does is a lot of times he'll highlight people to me and, and share things that are on his heart for them. Okay, so I'm going to do a little of that right now. And part of this is God just saying, I see you, I know you, I know the details of your life. So if what I'm saying makes sense, you get to ask questions. Um, just like, yeah, that, that, that applies. And if it doesn't, don't worry about it. I don't get this right all the time. You know, but I love how God shows up. And some people will call it prophecy or word of knowledge. I'm just calling it God stepping down and saying, I, I just want you to know I care about you. I'm, I'm involved in your life. Now, I don't just do this in the church. I do this out wherever I go. It seems to happen all the time. I actually have more fun with people who have no frame of reference for this. Um, and this fall, I was in Hawaii with a business conference. That one, you should have been at. That was interesting. Because the majority of them had no framework for this. 
and I sat in a room with people who did not know anything about God or Jesus, where some of them just wept. Because all of a sudden, the Lord stepped down in a real way and said, I, I'm involved in this in your life, this detail, this problem. I see who you are. Ultimately, God is always pursuing us and inviting us into closerness with him. God is not keeping a checklist of everything you do wrong. If you know anything, how many of you have kids? What works best? Or know have worked with kids? You know that what works, do you get more of the child by harping on what's wrong or, or reinforcing what's right? So do you think it's any different than God? Right? God is all about cheering us on. He's all about cheering us on and our successes. And he's with us in our failures and in our fears. So um, I'm going to start. Brandon, I, when I walked in this morning, I had this picture of a kitchen window. And it was open, and there was curtains, and there was a flower box on the outside. And the flowers are just starting to come up. And it feels like to me, I heard the Lord say, um, there's some, um, spring really is coming to your life. Like some of the things that you've wrestled and walked through in previous seasons um, are past things. Like the Lord, I just heard the Lord saying, tell Brandon, like, it actually is gone. And so I feel like there's about to be some surprises in relationships and in community for you in the best sorts of ways that are going to reinvigorate your life and to bring a new um, hope. I just heard the Lord saying there's familiar places that you've struggled through, that, that all of us struggle through, that, you know, in areas of either loneliness or being misunderstood. I heard the Lord saying he's removing those in ways that you can't even imagine. Make sense? Okay, good. There we go. See, that was painless, people. Um, you're all going, oh my God. <laughs> what did I do wrong this morning? Did I say something? <laughs> Jesus, you know what the thing is? You can't hide from God. Do you know the first time I heard the voice of the Lord? Not like this voice, like just his impression. I was in the shower. It was so inappropriate. <laughs> I was like, you can't do that. I'm naked. You're not allowed to have this conversation right now. And he's like, this is how I see you all the time. And I'm not phased. I'm like, I'm phased. Thank you. I don't know what to do. And it was just the Lord telling me he's not offended, right? He's not offended. See, the Lord wants to engage us and communicate to us that he cares, that he's near, that he's involved. He doesn't do it all the time because we get addicted to that. Do you ever notice that? What was yesterday's altar in the Old Testament now becomes tomorrow's idol. Well, he did it this way. We'll just keep doing it this way. We'll camp here till he shows up and God moved on. And they're like, what happened? Right? Because he wants a dynamic relationship. So do you see, the friendship of God is always inviting us, always pulling us forward, always saying, hey, I see what's going on. All the talks from our Sunday services are written with an aim to point people towards and help them open themselves to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't think he's just a bit part or an optional extra in our Sunday services. Following his lead is kind of the whole point. So at the end of each service, we invite everyone to receive prayer. There's no magic in the way that we pray for people. We've just found that it's the easiest and most natural way to open ourselves. And that when we do that, he often meets us in the most wonderfully transformative ways. If you're able to join us at a service, we'd always encourage you to give this a go, as out of your comfort zone as it may be. Do drop us a line at hello at bread.church if you'd like to talk about any of this more. Thanks for listening.